Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Science advisor Matt Moniz will be here in a few minutes because he had to step out for a bit. And Stephanie Burke is here as well. Good evening, and we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And we have a uh, an actual over-the-air show tonight. We're actually on the radio, which is nice for a change. I, I thought you were going up to a microphone. I was like, where's he going? What's the, does he have something to say? Uh, we are broadcasting live on WBSM and on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and on the Spooky South Coast app and on YouTube. And I'm pretty sure if you tie two coconuts together with a string, maybe some, some old cans, <laughs> you can pick up the show as well. Lots of different ways to, to pull us in. And tonight we're going to be talking, first of all, we, we've got a, a full lineup tonight. We're going to hear from Ashley with The Week and Weird coming up in just a few moments. Then we will be joined by Tim Banal, who if you are not a listener of Banal of America, then you need to be. Uh, we're going to share uh, some memories with him of the late Jim Mars. Jim Mars passed away. Earlier this week, huge influence on, on Tim Banal and Banal of America, huge influence on me, and I know Moniz as well, and Spooky South Coast. Uh, we've, had, we've been fortunate enough to have him a few times here on the program, so we're going to remember Jim for a little bit on tonight's show. And then later on, we'll be joined by Steve Asher. We're going to be talking about one particular case tonight. We're going to be talking about the hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary. So that should be a pretty, uh, a pretty interesting journey through the Kentucky State Penitentiary with Steve E. Asher coming up a little bit later on in the show. Uh, so we've got a lot of ground to cover and a little bit of time to do it. Uh, we waited a little bit there for the Red Sox post-game show to end just because if we were in the middle of trying to start our stuff and that went off the air, like the computer gets all frozen, so we figured let's just wait a few minutes and let's be able to go over the air from the start of the show. The WBSM audience hasn't heard us in weeks. That's true. Because last week, I think we never even made it. Last week, the game was late, I think. So we never even made it on to the radio. Right? I don't remember. I was coming right from wrestling, so. I wasn't here. I don't recall. And then I know the week before that, I don't. I think we might have made it on like the last 10 minutes or so. So it's good to be able to talk to you, the audience. And remember, you can call in at any time during the show at 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420 to call in toll-free. And you can always join in the chat room on Spooky TV, which you can get to through the Spooky South Coast app, through our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, and through YouTube. I want to say hi to everybody in the chat room tonight. Thank you for hanging out and waiting while we were waiting to get going. And uh, you can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can tweet us at SpookySC or use the hashtag SpookyLive. So we don't make it any easier for you, really. Like, you can take part in the show sitting on your couch in your underwear. We have people that do. In your underwear, really? I've, I've done the show in my underwear. Have you? Yes. We, Thank you. Uh, I've, done, I've, I've definitely done other people's shows in my underwear, <laughs> that's for sure. If you hear me on somebody else's podcast, chances are I was not wearing pants at the time. I think I wear pants for all shows I do. No, not me. I think I uh, would prefer, because when I'm home, I don't wear any. I'm like Murray Goldberg when I get home. <laughs> pants go off. Sitting in my chair, leave me alone. But uh, we, we have been uh, very fortunate uh, that uh, the camera angles are high enough that you can't tell the difference one way or another. There you go. So you don't know if I'm wearing pajamas, which I've been known to do in the past. You don't know if I'm sitting here in just a pair of shorts. So, But I am a little bit lower tonight. I do feel a little bit weird. I, I had to bring this chair in from the newsroom because I can't sit on that one. That one is awful. I want to say congratulations to Phil Paleologus for being you know, Nielsen-rated number one 
That's awesome. Yes, he's the number one morning show in our target demographic, and uh, he beat some of the bigger stations around here. People wow. love listening to Phil. I don't know how Phil does that show for four hours every morning sitting on that stool. No. Nope. Especially when he's been doing it for so many years. You know, he's been in radio for so long. and They need a new chair. Look, it's falling apart. It is. But you know how it goes here. If there's a nice, comfy chair in the studio, they're all going to fight over who gets to take it with them at the end of the show. And yep. So I think... You know, it's better to just sneak in this one from the newsroom. Nobody will know the difference. But I just know that it makes it harder for Matt with the cameras. So why don't we uh, why don't we get into the weekend weird with Ashley? Now this is a, a recorded one. She's actually at the Pain House tonight. As she they're, is, they're yep. doing some investigating there. Uh, but she sent this along. So let's go to the weekend weird with Ashley Turner. No, we're not talking about Bigfoot, Yeti, the Loch Ness Monster. We're talking about stranger and bigger things, such as the Dover Demon, located right here in Massachusetts. It's described by an eyewitness as being about four feet tall on two legs, with a hairless body, rough textured skin, long, spindly peach-colored limbs, a large watermelon-shaped head, nearly as big as his body, and large glowing eyes. It's a super creepy photo, so check that out. And also in the article, it covers the Loveland Lizard, the Mothman, and the Jersey Devil. So check it out and tell me what you think. And maybe some of this is lurking in your own backyard and you don't even know. So keep me updated on that. The next story comes from Peru. Um, It's quoted from the title, Strange Factor, Dead Alien Baby and Pregnant Mother Found Inside Tomb of Peru. Quoted right from the article, Researchers are investigating the alleged discovery of several alleged mummified aliens, also claimed now to have found the corpse of what appears to be a baby. The Express.co of the UK revealed the first pictures of the alleged to be a secret tomb where several mummified aliens were found. It's a pretty cool article. has a lot of information in it. It has a really neat video that goes along with it. Check it out. The pictures are really interesting as well. And let me know what you think. And my last story was only released a few days ago, titled Dashcam Keep captures spooky shadow person in Ireland. Quoted straight from the article, a strange piece of footage from Ireland appears to show some kind of shadow person crossing the road and vanishing into thin air. But people are picking the video apart as people pick everything apart and they're saying that the content might be a hoax and that the person of the car shouldn't be afraid as it might be just a person simply walking through an opening in the wall or rather then slipping into a different dimension. Check the video out. Let me know what you think. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye. All right. That is Ashley Turner with The Week in Weird. And, uh, and of course, that's always posted up online. And, and I know, Matt, you've been doing, uh, you've been taking up the video and posting The Week in Weird on its own. So we highly recommend that you grab that. You download it. You share it. Whatever you want to do. If you want to put it on your site, we're cool with that. You know, just do whatever you want to do to help spread the word and, and keep things weird out there. And speaking of keeping things weird, we have a guy who's been keeping things weird for as long as we have been, and that is Tim Benal. He is joining us on the line right now. Uh, good evening, Tim. Is that you on the line? Hey, what's going on? What's Come happening? On, uh, spooky South Coast crew. It's been a while uh, since we've had you. Having on. Me on. We haven't had you on the show in a long time. What's a long, long time. I'm sorry that it uh, that my return would come on such a on such a downer with such a such a sad uh, 
that reason for the return. But Absolutely. I appreciate that you asked me to come on, so thanks. Well, I mean, there's nobody else that we could talk to that could uh, talk about the impact that Jim Mars had uh, any more than you because, you know, same thing. I remember being a college student. I was uh, I was a sophomore at UMass Dartmouth, and I was taking the course, Political Assassinations in America, and it was taught by the great Philip Melanson, who was also no longer with us. And as I'm taking that course, you know, all the name that he kept mentioning over and over again was Jim Mars, Jim Mars, his research. And he told me, he's like, listen, if you want to read the definitive JFK assassination book, you have to get Crossfire. And so I went out and I got it, and I would spend hours talking about it with, with Professor Melanson. And I was fortunate enough that when we started doing this show, sent an email to Jim Mars, and he agreed to do it. And so it must have been similar for you that, you know, you must have come across his work well before you were even doing Banal of America. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy story, man. It's like uh, Jim passing um, on Wednesday is just kind of, it's like, it's hard to explain, but it's like, uh, it's like when you, it's like thinking about someone you, you knew, something that happened to you, like a great band or something, you know, that, that was a pivotal part of your life when you were really young, you know what I mean? But, but the added... But the added layer of, like, then you get to meet the band, you know, and you get to know the band. So it's like, it brought all these memories for me back about how pivotal he was in my life. He really, uh, if it's not for him, I, I mean, I wouldn't be talking to you guys today. It was like, I just, one day in, in the fall of uh, 2002, such a long time ago, um, I was just looking for a book to read and picked up Rule by Secrecy. And, um, you know... It's uh, Bruce Springsteen has a great line about uh, uh, Bob Dylan's "Like a Rolling Stone." That snare shot at the beginning of the song it uh, kicks open the door to your mind, and that's kind of what happened with me and, and Jim's book. That book just uh, it kicked open the door to my mind, and and uh, I went out and got Alien Agenda and Crossfire, like all within the next two weeks, and um, and and read all that stuff, and then it was like I need to know more about all of this stuff, and it it just it, I had. I mean, I had an interest in all this when I was younger as a kid and everything, but it was like, this this is what brought it all on, this this, this mm-hmm. book and Jim uh, and his work and everything. So to me, he was always, uh, I, I, I wrote a little something about him on Facebook the other day, and it's like, he wasn't like a mentor. I mean, he was a friend for sure. Um, but to say he was like a mentor or a hero, like goes even beyond, every, he was like a shaman for me, man. He mm-hmm. was like a shaman. He was like, I had elevated him to, like, godlike status. Because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't have all these friends like you guys. All of my friends, like, you know, all of my friends. With the exception of, like, people I knew in high school and college. Like, all of them, you know, and maybe a few other people. But it's like, most of my adult friends came from in the paranormal. And it's like, I wouldn't know any of these people. And I would have gone down a whole different path in life. And it's really, I mean, and, and like things I hadn't thought about in a long, long time uh, came kind of flooding back to me this week where it was like, I mean, it's, it's. I don't talk about it a lot, but a lot, most people know I work for Coast to Coast. And it's like, if I, I finished reading Jim's books and I said to myself, where can I hear an interview with this guy? And I went to Google and that's how I found Coast to Coast. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I wouldn't even have this job I have. You know, it's it's like my, I, I I mean I'd be looking at a completely different life if it wasn't for Jim Mars, and and he was just so, 
so gracious and kind and, and, you know, helpful. When I started my show, I had never even done an interview. I mean, I had done some of these, like, sit-down interviews at, con- at a convention uh, where I actually had met him for the first time in 2004. Well, you sit at, like, you sit at the vendor table, and I interviewed Stan Friedman. That was the first person I ever interviewed. I think I did, like, two other interviews. But the first time I ever did a real, a banal of America interview like I do now over the phone, it's like, that was Jim. And and it's another, like, thing that I hadn't thought of in a while was that uh, I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing or anything. And it's like, Jim liked to talk. He was loquacious. He could really tell a story. And so I had, like, maybe 15 questions, and I probably only got to half of them. And and we had done an hour uh, about this time of year, too, um, I think like 12 years ago. And um, I was like, I mean, because I didn't know any better. I didn't know it was probably rude to ask. I didn't know any better. So, like, we did the hour, and I was like, hey, can I interview you, like, for an hour next week and, and, <laughs> and get the rest of these questions done? And he was like, sure, same time next week. And I was like, he didn't have to do that, dude. This is Jim Mars, man. Right. But he did. And... I mean, I know, I can, I'm sure you can speak to this in, in a lot of ways, too. It was like, that was the first interview we did for, like, the show as a real show show. And it gave us instant credibility. You know, it put us on the map instantly. Because we had Jim Mars. And there were so few shows back then that it was like, for all the guys that were like me, that were like, i got to find an interview with Jim Mars. All of a sudden, we were on the map. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and, and it was so much easier to get other guests. Because when you can go to get a guest and you say, well, who have you had on the show? Jim Mars. Oh, if you had Jim on, then yeah, for sure. Right, absolutely. What so, I, what I was like, he was just, he was the best, man. He was really the best. A- absolutely. What, what impressed me the most about him was, you know, you start thinking before you really delve into this world and you start reading books and, and listening to interviews and, and seeing people on television, you know, now there's stuff about conspiracy theories all the time on television, but people don't realize that was few and far between way back then. And so... You would think of somebody that's a conspiracy theorist as being this nut job that lives out in a, in a Unabomber shack out in the woods. Then you read a book by Jim Mars and you say, well, wait a minute. This guy sounds like he must be like the ultimate Washington insider. You know, he's probably like some, uh, you know, Secret Service kind of CIA black ops type of guy. And then you turn over the back cover of the book and you see this guy and he's just this laid back, you know, folksy down home. Looks like he could be your grandfather. And that's how he was as a person. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think um, he was like the best of all worlds, in a sense, I think, because it was like he he had sort of the, he had the look of the cool, the, the cool sort of conspiracy guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he had like the bushy beard, the Santa Claus type beard and the trademark hat and the, and the gla- and like the sunglasses. And it was like he kind of gave off that like conspiracy vibe. But then when you... Then when you heard him, he was so eloquent. He's such a storyteller. He was so he could lay stuff out. You know, he had this way of like telling you, laying out like the facts in a way that like when he finished his when he finished sort of the bit, if you will, and that that's not that's sort of like that's a poor choice of words. But when he finished sort of what he was trying to say, it always sort of came around to like a funny little a funny little sort of ending that made you think. You know what I mean? He would he would sort of set you up with all these facts and then come back at the end with some some little thing that tied it all together where you're like oh wow and he would have that laugh he would have that laugh man he would, he would have that laugh I, you know and that was that you know he was so he was 
I'm sure he, I'm sure he confounded many a TV producer who was like, oh, yeah, we'll get this guy on. He's just some country bumpkin or something. Or something like that, and then you know, and then they get him on, and he was incredibly eloquent, incredibly well spoken, and thoughtful, and funny, and entertaining, and he didn't come off as like creepy or or paranoid or anything. You know, he he didn't have any of the bad traits that you expect from these conspiracy folks. That's what I loved about him. You know, it was like he didn't come off as threatening. He came off as like, hey man, it's going to be okay, but here's what's going on. And he wasn't one of these, uh, you know, crackpots either that, that as much as he was able to expose over the course of his career and as much as he was able to bring to the forefront, he wasn't one of these guys that was hiding in a bunker somewhere. I mean, this is a guy that every day was on Facebook and he would like your photos and comment under things. And, you know, this was not a guy that was afraid of the stuff that he was writing about. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I was, it was, it was like, uh, you know, it was a, a great, great, great pleasure of mine and a, a joy uh, that I was out in Dallas. I don't think we ever talked about this, you and I, but, no. you know, I was out in Dallas last uh, last spring, and a bunch of us got together, and we went to Dealey Plaza and, and the usual sort of haunts, and, and on Sunday of that uh, day, uh, that weekend, I went to, we went to Aurora, where the, allegedly there was a alien spacecraft, uh, a UFO that crashed, and they buried an alien in the graveyard in Aurora. And um, Jim lives or lived near pretty close to there. And um, one of the guys that was down there knew Jim and called him. And he came out to Aurora and just hung out with us in the afternoon for no, you know, for listen, folks, there are people in this field that wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't they wouldn't have done that for if you didn't offer him money. Right. OK. If you didn't, they'd ask you how much you got. You know, it was like we, we didn't even know Jim was going out there. He was like, oh, a bunch of people going out there from all over the country. You know, that's cool. I'll come out and hang out and tell them about it. It's, it, you know, it's just amazing how just approachable he was, how, how down to earth he was, and really how much of, uh, you know, he was always willing. Every time I contacted him and said, you know, we'd love to have you come on the show. I see you have a new book out or what have you. You know, he always found a way to make time. And, and there was even, it didn't even have to be about being on the show you know it would be perfectly fine hey just give me a call and we'll talk sometime and that's that's very rare to find in this field to have somebody who, because people compartmentalize this stuff so much in their lives it's very rare to have somebody that's willing to be like hey call me anytime with any questions you may have whether it's on the radio or not yeah yeah now he was you know i liken him a lot to stan uh, freeman in that way mm-hmm. you know he was very approachable very and, and it's like paradoxically approachable he was such a big star you know it's like people yeah, I mean, I I could call him up anytime I want, you know. And if I if I I'd leave a message if I didn't get him, and he would call me back, you know. And as you can imagine, like, and, and I'm sure you kind of went through this too, and it's kind of why this is such a tough tough loss. Uh, is just that like he was so pivotal in my life, you know. It's like they say, don't meet your heroes, but I did, and it was awesome. <laughs> well, and, you know, we, we had been following along for the last couple of months. He had been sick. Uh, he, had, he had had some complications from diabetes. Uh, he, had, he had lost his sight. I don't know if he ever regained his sight. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know a lot of the details about... Uh, I'm just going by what I saw on, yeah, yeah, on no, Facebook. I, I don't know anything more than you do. Um, you know, I just know it was a tough... It looked pretty bad a couple months ago. Um you know, and there was a lot of at the time there was a there was a lot of there were people sort of like saying that that he wasn't going to make it like 
for a week or through through the week or something like that. Right. So at that point, that's why when the news started going around on Wednesday afternoon, I was like, "Well, I'm going to wait till I hear something legit." Right. Because, e- yeah. Even from, and I mean, there were like there were people who were saying who were you know kind of confirming it and everything, but even then I was like, until I see it on his page, I'm not going to believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of that I think was my own. Refused not wanting to believe it was true. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. there were people that I respect that were like saying, you know, putting condolences up and everything. And it was like, yeah, that's cool. But until I, it was, it, it's almost like, it's like, it's like the impossible. Like until I can hear it from Jim himself, I'm not going to believe this, you know. But, and then, then when Jim's family posted it, it was like, you know, the dam broke for me. It was like, all right, this is, this is real. Yeah, I mean, I I come out of my lecture. Uh, I was doing a Lizzie Borden lecture, and I came out to the information coming at me from John Tenney, and immediately I reached out to you because I figured, you know, first of all, Tenney would know if it happened, but I also knew that you would know if it did, and, and so that was kind of like a a double confirmation for me to say, okay, you know, I feel like I can take this to the to our audience and share it with them, and and I don't think it can be said enough. Even though we've only had him on the show here a few times, I don't think it can be said enough how much of an influence he was on everything that we do. You, before Jim Mars talking about things that you weren't supposed to be talking about, you know, we would not be allowed to be on the radio discussing a lot of these things. They would tell us, they would probably tell us, hey, you guys can't talk about JFK assassination once a year. We don't want you guys talking about 9 11 conspiracies or any of this stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, like, well, I, I, I'm not, this isn't to, like, put, put myself over it all it's just sort of to tie into another thing but it's like yeah i mean you wouldn't have you would never would have met me you never had me on the show i know marie jones said when she first started getting involved uh with and this was early because she said it when she was in mufon in, in california which is like when she first got into all this that jim was like integral to helping her out it's like and i'm sure there's a lot of other people you know right. i'm sure there are and i'm sure there's a lot of people that like I mean, it's like a coach's tree, in a sense, you know? It's like, because I've talked to people who were like, who, I've had people on my show who were, who, as frightening as this sounds, who were like, yeah, one of the reasons I got into this is I listened to your show, mm-hmm. and I really got into this and started looking into this topic and decided to write a book. And it was like, whoa, like, I'm there, Jim Mars? <laughs> like, this is weird, you know? So it's like, and then, in, in you know, so in turn, it's like, they wouldn't be around. <laughs> so it's like... Because if I didn't do this, then, you know, they wouldn't have been listening to the show. You know, it's like a crazy, crazy, it's like this butterfly effect where he was, he just had a profound influence on all this, you know, a really profound influence. I mean, he was like, he was one of the really big, 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 big stars, like big, big, you know, he was, he was an icon, a legend, you know, mm-hmm. you can't, like, he was just this like larger than life, tremendous, you know. I think, can't put them over enough. I think we have somebody on the line here that uh, that might want to call in and share a memory of Jim, and uh, we'll see if we can take that call. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you? Hello? All right. Well. What was that? Hello? Uh, no, you, you, yeah, you're still with us, but I was trying to bring in another call, but it sounds like somebody wasn't there. But if anybody did want to call in, the number is 508-996-0500 if you want to call in and share your thoughts of, of Jim Mars. Now the, the question is, I mean, I know that Jim had been a little bit less prolific over the last few years uh, with his health and, you know, and just being older and wanting to kind of enjoy things a little bit more. Uh, he was still pretty active in, in, in all of his research, but you just didn't see him as much. Uh, out there anymore there's got to be a, a new vanguard of people though who have been picking up the mantle of what he's been doing over the years 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, believe me, yeah. Well, one one point I wanted to make in a sense that just to, I guess I can't even I can't even sort of address that question without sort of talking about this in a sense is that like, this is another thing that I was thinking about this week was, um, you know, if you look at his books, he wrote Crossfire. That's the JFK assassination, right? Mm-hmm. Then he wrote Rule by Secrecy, which is just like a worldwide conspiracy, like a world history conspiracy book. I can't. Folks, get this book. If you have not read this book, it is it's a seminal work. Um, and then, shortly thereafter, he wrote Alien Agenda, which is like the whole like history of the UFO phenomenon. And I was thinking about this week, and it was like, you know, I look at all these different topics on my show, and I never fell into the trap of specialization. And it's like, because that's what, you know, it's just like the light bulb like went off in my head, and it was like, because that's what Jim did. Right. You know, that's how Jim Mars did it. He looked at all the different topics. That's why I look at all the different topics, because I was raised on the idea from his stuff that you can look at all the different stuff. You know what I mean? So, to like, to speak to what you're saying, I guess, and, like, the reason why I, I kind of wanted to make that point first is that... Um, it's like, well, who's, like, filling in his shoes and stuff like that? It's like, he pretty much cut across the whole, like, genres. Right. You know, it's like, who's... I guess the question is, like, who are the charismatic young people that are going to take his place? You know what I mean? It's like like a Micah Hanks or something like that. He's he's young, because you need somebody who's, like, who connects with people and is larger than life. Micah Hanks is like that, you know? Um and I think part of but part of his uh, legacy you know, Nick too. Nick Redfern's like that in a different sense, where he like covers all these different topics and stuff. But it's like the I don't know. We, we we come from an older age, man. I mean, it's like the there's a certain like era of like in my mind of like paranormal uh, conspiracy like superstar type characters. You know what I mean? Like a Stan Freeman, Jim Mars, Lauren Coleman. Um, I'm sure he'll love me following his name up with, like, David Icke or uh, uh, Alex Jones. You know, like, uh, there's only, like, maybe eight to ten people who were, like, in the class that Jim was in, you know. And to me, they're all, like, there's nobody, (laughs) you know. I think Mike Aggs could be there someday. I think Nick Redfern could be there someday. Um, God, I wish I could be there someday, but that's probably not going to ever be possible. But it's like, there's, you know, but I don't think... uh, does any you know the closest person I would say that's sort of like riding that riding that crest between sort of the old guard and what might come next is like a rich Dolan. That's probably the 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 person I can think of that's like at some point they become bigger than the paranormal. Their name is like they are you know it's like it's the WWE and it's John Cena. But you I, know? I also it's one I, of the few people that can that matches the brand. I, I, uh, so it's like, like as far as that goes, like, like I guess like Rich Dolan or something like that. I guess to answer <laughs> in a long-winded, very inside baseball sort of answer. But I also think too that part of Jim's legacy is that there doesn't have to be somebody that will fill that role either. The fact that more people are out there doing this, more people are out there peeling back the layers, and it is something that we can have a conversation about without it being, you know, nobody thinks you're crazy if you want to sit down and have a a conversation about the JFK assassination and about the conspiracy theories involved in that. People are willing to sit there and kind of dissect it all and figure it all out. They might not 
subscribe to all the theories, but at least you're not considered a nut job for talking about it. And I think that that's what Jim did more than anything, is he humanized the idea of thinking that the story that we're being told might not be the whole story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because, well, there's so many outlets for people nowadays that it's like certain people don't just, uh, aren't like, uh, there's just more opportunities. So more people get more get opportunities, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? So, And he's, guys like him and all those folks I was just talking about, sort of the old guard of, like, you know, the Uber stars, they're the ones that kind of opened those doors for people and, you know, made the paranormal kind of ushered it into as close to the mainstream as it is now. And I, I for, as you said, for everybody who hasn't delved into Jim's works and, and hasn't read his writings and, and even just going to his website, uh, you know, a view from Mars where he would post up random thoughts sometimes and, and put up blogs and just get, get yourself into the mind of how he saw the world and take some of that into your own approach. Take some of that into the way that you, especially today, I don't want to turn this into a political discussion, but if you just look at everything that's going on today, I mean, I just know that there was a book coming from Jim if he had not passed, if he had not left us. There would have been some sort of a book about everything that's going on today because he would have been the guy to figure it all out and, and to peel back all those layers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anything, that's that's kind of one of the heartbreaking parts of, uh, obviously, Jim passing. It's very heartbreaking. All the, you know, it's like one of those things that catches you later where you're like, oh, you know, he's not going to see how this plays out. You know, but in some regard, yeah, he gets to go and explore and find the answers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> on the other on the other end, it's like I, I, if if the afterlife is what I hope and 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 pray that it is, then he's out there right now getting the answers to all these questions. He's like a kid in a candy shop right oh, now. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I, you know, it makes me smile. I can only imagine what. You know, he's sitting there on the grassy roll right now, a uh, grassy knoll right now, saying, "Play it again." Yep. All right, back it up. Play it again. Okay, let me see. You know, walking around, looking at looking at all, looking at history unfold. You know, he's sitting there in Roswell right now, being like, "Okay, let me see that for one more time. How it came down." All right. Okay, I can see how that. You know, <laughs> he's there in spirit form, watching it all and and you know studying it. So, I mean, God bless him. I hope I can be there someday. I hope I'm good enough to get there someday. And and uh, you know be alongside all those people trying to figure it out on the other, or finding the answers out on the other side, I hope. Well, one of the things that I always remember strongly about our, my conversations with him is, you know, he would always, he'd, he'd reference ghosts in some way, or, or maybe I would, and he would always say, you know, but, but that's your thing. He's like, that's not really my thing. That's your thing. You know more about that than I do. You know, you, you know that's your area. And I'm like, is Jim Mars comparing, like, my knowledge of ghosts with his knowledge about the topics that he knows about? Like, you don't understand. Like, I know, like, 1% of what I'm interested in compared to, like, what he knows about what, what he's interested in. And it's just, it was always mind-blowing that he would defer to somebody else about anything because he was just a, a, a human encyclopedia of things. Yeah, for real. He was he was always like, if he knew it, he would tell you about it. And if he didn't know it, he wouldn't BS you. You know? Mm-hmm. That's the impression I got. Because I, we, you know, I, ask, I'll ask, I would ask some arcane sort of questions on the show. And if he didn't really have an answer, you know, if he was like... Yeah, well, I haven't really looked that much into that thing, but, you know, here's what here's what I can say about it. You know what I mean? He would at least qualify stuff with, with the next one. He's one of these people who wouldn't fly off at the mouth and just make things up. 
And I think that that is uh, what, what will kind of be his lasting legacy is if people can kind of follow in that mold. And, of course, you always talk to, to people on Banal of America. Before we let you go here, we do want to let people know about the new season of Banal of America. It, you are taking this in, in some very interesting directions this season. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's gotten really interesting uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, not that it wasn't before, but it's um, it's getting, like, even more. We've, like, smashed the fourth wall. We're, like, really getting into, like, the looking glass type areas of stuff. Like, what is what is going on with ufology? What is the state of this field? And I had you and uh, Chris Balzano on for a fascinating conversation where we deconstructed uh, ghosts, the, sort of just the ghost community, you know, and it was, like, so interesting. I really, really enjoyed that conversation so much. Same and um, it's my final season. I'm not uh, – I'm coming back in some form or fashion after I do this, but traditionally the show is like 33 episodes spaced out over the course of a year or so, mm-hmm. um, broken down into seasons, kind of like an album. And here, when we got to our 10th season, I knew back in season 8 that this was going to be the end, and it was like uh, – I think I kind of dragged my feet getting it started for like six to eight months because I knew it was the last one. But once we got it going, it's been unbelievable. I, I can honestly say, and I was thinking this today, um, I had even, I actually forgot, it's not planned. I forgot I was going to be on the show tonight, but I was thinking to myself, as I was putting up the newest episode, I was like, uh, and I mean, you can, you can attest to this, Tim. Like, you don't say it out loud, or you don't say it sort of like to the, to the audience. You may allude to it at some point, but it's like, sometimes you get some dogs. You know, sometimes you get some some right. episodes where you're like, "Oh, that was that was not fun," you know, or it's like that was not what I thought it would be, or that's not what I hoped it would be. Yeah, it's just a chore and, getting to the end. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I I I was putting the episode up today, and I said to myself, uh, "This has been unbelievable. This is the 13th episode of the season," and I'm like, "This is the I haven't had a single episode where I've got off the phone where I was disappointed. Like every episode I've." gotten off the phone i was like wow that was amazing like that was just an amazing conversation and they're all so different so i I hope folks check it out i'm actually going on vacation for two weeks so now's the time to dig into the archive absolutely uh, yeah and it's lots of good stuff on there America dot com. uh and again just go back and listen to every season really but uh some fascinating stuff and and it's it's got to be this is definitely part of that vanguard that I was talking about. You know, your show is definitely the next phase. This is what Jim laid the groundwork for, was for you to be able to do a show like that. So thank you for all that you do, and, and thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Because uh, we did a show, our show was on Tuesday night, and Jim passed away on Wednesday, and I'm not coming back for a couple of weeks, so I don't, I wouldn't have had a venue actually to sort of like talk all this out. So I actually, uh, I really appreciate it, because I, I tried writing a lot of it down, but didn't couldn't really. It's easier said than than written. Right. Well, you know, you're welcome here anytime. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, yeah, thanks again. And and uh, rock on, spooky South Coast. All right. Take care. Have a good vacation. Thanks, man. Good night. 
Have a good one. That is Tim Banal, banalofamerica.com. Definitely check it out. I highly recommend it. It's been fascinating listening for years, for, for um, as long as we've been around, too. We're going to take a break now. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by Steve Asher. We're going to be talking about the ghosts of the, the hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, and we're going to get into some of these stories because, uh, you know, it's, it's really fascinating when you can kind of zero in on one particular location and one particular case. And we're going to do that tonight. And, of course, we'll take your calls as well, 508 996 If you want to call in with any thoughts, you can also send them to us via email, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com, or you can jump right in the chat room at spookysouthcoast.com, where we have live streaming video. You can actually see all the cameras in the studio and see everybody as the show is going on. Matt does all kinds of great stuff with the Spooky TV, so make sure you check that out. All right, we'll be back in just a few minutes with more Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. There we go. There we go. There I am. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg with you. Gonna kick up my headphones here. That's what's weird about this board is that, well, it's always been this way, but sometimes you can only hear yourself out of one ear. And I can never tell which ear is my good ear, so I don't know which way to put the headphones on for when that happens. We are back. We are talking about the paranormal as we do each and every Saturday night. And uh, we won't be here next Saturday night. We have an event coming up. We'll be uh, having Ghosts of the Gateway 2017 at the Fearing Tavern and the three other buildings owned by the Wareham Historical Society. We do this every year as a fundraiser for them, and it's you know it's one of the premier events for them each year. So we do it as a way to kind of raise some money for them, and we would like everybody to come on out and take part. There's still some tickets available. You can get those at SpookySouthCoast.com. I know I know that one newspaper already ran a story on it in Wareham, but there's a, the other one will probably have something on it this week. So you probably don't want to wait too long to get your tickets because by the time it hits that, you know, then all the summer people are going to be like, oh, that sounds like fun. And then, yeah, hunting for ghosts. Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, certainly, um, we'll certainly give you a good dose of Wareham history, too, at the same time. So It's really a fun event. We it, do it what, every year. We try to do it every year. We're, we're going to try and do it yearly now. There's, there, we were doing it kind of every other year, but we're going to try and do it every year for them at some point, whether it be in the summer right. or in the fall just so that we can help them out and, and help them raise some money. And, uh, again, if you've never been to any of these buildings, the Fearing Tavern was built in 1690, the oldest part of the building. When do you get to investigate a place built in 1690? It's a weird place. When do you even really get to go into a place built in 1690? There's so many few houses, excuse me, so many few houses <laughs> left around that are even from the 1600s. You know, it's we're just losing them more and more because people don't want to, have to deal with the upkeep right. involved in them. Oh, they don't have the funds to do so, so that's why we do this event. There was uh, I, a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago, I shared a, a, a house for sale 
There was a That's story right. in the newspaper of a house from 1650. And That's one you want to buy, right? I, I did. I mean, mm-hmm. if I had, you know, $350,000 kicking around, I would, I would maybe buy that house. But the more I thought about it... So much upkeep. Well, but that's the problem is the house had already been kind of all redone. So really? I don't know that I'd want to live in it then. You know, everything kind of looked so, modernized. Okay. All right. And they, they kind of had taken some of the some of the older parts of it and, and, and updated it a bit. Mm-hmm. And some of it still had the same look and the same appeal, but you could tell, like, it wasn't the same function anymore. You know, and and I I would I'd want it to be completely as is if I was going to you know I want to live in it the way that it was Might be a little in sixteen fifty. Well, I mean, I'd still want to have the heat and the running water <laughs> and the bathroom right inside of it. But I'm just saying, like, I I don't want you to take all of the you know original beams and cover them over with a drop ceiling. Right. You know, like that kind of stuff just aggravates me to no end. You know, I want it to be. Authentic, And that's what you get when you go into the Fearing Tavern. It's been completely redone, so it looks like it would have back then. And you get the chance to go in and explore a whole night where you can hunt for ghosts in four different buildings. And all the buildings have activity. All the buildings have had stuff happen over the years. Right. SpookySouthCoast.com is the place to go and get tickets if you want to take part. Hopefully, we will see you next Saturday night. But, again, for the radio audience, we will not be here next Saturday night uh, as we have that event. So keep that in mind if you are tuning in and looking for us and wondering if we're going to be on YouTube and all that stuff. Nope. No show next week. But for the remainder of this week, we're going to be joined now by our guest, Steve Asher. And Steve Asher is a paranormal researcher who's also a freelance writer and artist, as well as a lover of music. Previously, he worked over 10 years in law enforcement and as a correctional officer. Steve's a longtime researcher of the paranormal. He's traveled worldwide, most recently to Thailand, where he and his wife adopted one of their two sons. Steve is also an avid lover of the nighttime. He says that this is when he feels most truly alive in the darkness of the night and therefore most productive in his paranormal research and writing. He is a native of Princeton, Kentucky, and he joins us on the line right now. Steve, are you with us? Can, oh, wait. i got to put – hold on now. All right. Now can you hear me, Steve? Yes. Yes, sir. You think I would know how to do this by now after all these years? The magic of live radio. Hey, and that's what's great about it. You know, you say – it says in your bio that you do your best work at night, at night, and so do we. The problem is our best work is when we're falling asleep. So uh, I'm kind of falling asleep at the switch here tonight. Uh, I think you're going to do just fine. So I I, I have to say that, uh, first of all, in your bio, it mentions that you spent uh, a good amount of time working in law enforcement. And, and before we even get into the hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, which is the name of the book, I, I'm just going to say, across the board, whether it's ghosts or anything, you must see some really weird stuff in the corrections field. Well, sure. I mean, it, uh, there's. Are we talking paranormal or just just freaky? anything weird? No, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of both. Um, sure, there is. I mean, anytime you have a, a certain amount of the uh, population that uh, tend to have chaos around them, and you put them into an environment where it's historically had that sort of activity and that sort of tension and that sort of anguish and all those emotions that go in with being locked in and having to deal with some of your own issues because uh, that's the thing about the penitentiary. It, it's not a reformatory. It's not a boys' camp. It's it's about penance. Uh, it, at one time, actually, the uh, they used to have a big sign in the front and it said, Abandon all hope ye who enter here. So it really kind of set the tone for You've kind of reached the end of the line, and here you'll stay. And a lot of them, a lot of them did. But uh, but that's for sure uh, that you're going to see uh, all kinds of weird things like that. And uh, but 
I never saw anything to the extent, uh, not just myself, but have other people, um, con- you know, confirm certain situations that I'd saw or ever experienced, like I did at the Kentucky State Penitentiary. It, it's just, you know, it's beyond everything uh, that I'd ever dealt with, because um, I'd worked in, you know, minimum security stuff. I've worked in jails and things like that, but uh, the time there, uh, it's it's really a it's a timeless. Really old uh, facility looks kind of like a castle, and um, it's just it's brutal. I mean, it's definitely changed since the you know the onset uh, or the first opening of the doors of, of on Christmas Eve, I believe. I think it was eighteen. Uh, oh, my mind's uh, slipping. I think it was eighteen eighty four, eighteen eighty seven. I, I should have had that ready, but it was right around that time. And um, like I said, it was just you know the worst of the state. And even the worst from out of state comes here, and and that's the thing about this particular penitentiary is that you know you see a lot of shows that goes like Eastern State Penitentiary and places like that, or people will check out Waverly and things like that, you know. But there's a certain energy that's in a still functioning facility, right? And and that's the key. I mean, I, I've I've worked uh, as a as a researcher and a producer on Ghost Stalkers and Ghost Asylum, and you know we're always finding abandoned penitentiaries to investigate. We're always finding places where, you know, it's been 20, 30 years before they've been actively used. And, you know, there's there's kind of a, a bit of a disconnect between the living that are coming in there to investigate and, and the dead that are there haunting it. But with a place like this where it's still active, I mean, they're both rubbing up against each other uh, every single day. Well, it really is. And that's the thing is – and there's even more sides to all that. You have to factor in, obviously – the, the people coming in there to work, dealing with you know the the job stress, the job violence, the structure of it. Uh, believe it or not, um, a lot of, well, obviously a lot of the people that are incarcerated there weren't model citizens, or they wouldn't be in there, and they definitely didn't do well with structure and following the rules. But that place is set up very in a very uh, militaristic style. You know, there's the, you know, captain, lieutenant, sorry, you know, that type of pecking order, and everything goes through channels, and everything is a certain way, and that in itself hobbles these guys, and and that's the main thing that, that I took away from it, is that people said, you know, I've talked, you know, to inmates that have been at different facilities and said, I've been able to do good time, because, you know, good time, you keep yourself busy, you do this and that, and said, but I've never done hard time like I did before I came to, to uh, the Kentucky State Penitentiary, said so just everything about this place is restrictive. Everything about this place is uh, it's just numbing. Uh, I, I'm trying to I, I grasp at words, which is silly, I guess. I should be able to like rattle it off since I experienced it, but I try to put it into words and where it doesn't sound. I don't want it to sound hokey. I don't want it to sound um, uh, being facetious about anything. It's just I, I'm trying to carry the weight of it right. I'm trying to express that weight and you never even in you know the, the, the 10 plus years of, you know that I, that I did this kind of work you know I will still even after the things I would experience still have dreams about it still have nightmares about it now I have friends that called me you know people that uh, you know uh, retired and this and that or went on to other state work and things like that and inev- inevitably in our conversations every so often it would be like yeah, you know, 
you ever, you ever think about the penitentiary? And I'm like, well, I mean, since I write about it, yeah, you know, it kind of it kind of is sort of there. But but yeah, I mean, it, it stays with you, and it, regardless if you you were in there 24 hours a day or an eight hour or 10 hour shifts, it it's uh, it leaves an indelible mark on you, and that's the uh, that's the craziest thing that I've really found from that. Um, because you know I've checked out other facilities. I've checked out you know old, you know old, uh, mental hospitals and and things like that. Just there's nothing with this sort of visceral, just energy, if you want to call it that. Um, and understand the way I try to write this book was I, I try to pretty much do it like the old Dragnet series. You know, just the facts. You know, if someone saw. A shadow. I didn't say, well, it was a ghost, or it was this type of haunting, or it's necessarily, or this type of energy. Sure. I would say this is what they saw. Now, I might, at the end, give a conclusion if you know if they asked me what I thought it was, and and you know, in my in my time of study, you know, obviously, everybody does their research in their own way. Um, and, you know, and, I would. And give some a, stories will tie together too. There's well, sure, and, natural connections. Absolutely. Well, and that's the thing, you know, it's it, like again, the facility was built on inmate labor. You know, there was people hurt and killed in, in the in the production and in, in the construction of it. Um, the onset, there was a lot of bad sewer problems, killed killed a bunch of people. It's just it's just a constant, you know, bleeding out. See, and, and go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say that's one of the things about. Uh, penitentiaries that were built of that era is if you look at facilities that are built now the more modern facilities it's all about efficiency you know it's right. about it's about the fact that you're going to be shoving as many bodies as you can in there so you try to find a way to make it work if you look at the way that they were built a hundred years ago and even before that it was about inflicting the mental anguish of i don't ever want to go back to that place ever again and that was the the, the idea behind the concept was to make a place that would be so horrible that you would want to do everything in your power to not have to go back but that that same type of uh, of an atmosphere also must play on the guards as well and the people who have to work there that didn't do anything wrong that are just there to make a living right well that's the thing um sometimes when we would have someone like having a fight on the yard or um different things you know assaulting an officer or, or whatever you would have to go in and which i understand at this penitentiary, at least when I was there, you know, you didn't carry mace, you didn't carry billy clubs, guns, any of that. You know, you would have a radio and uh, your mouth to hopefully be able to talk these guys down. I'm, I was always pretty, uh, pretty well versed at you know being able to kind of joke with these guys and, and a lot of times get them to laugh and kind of break break the fight up, which that might sound really silly, but um, you know, like I said, you don't you come in there with what what tools that you that God gave you. And uh, because, like I said, they're not, they're not going to give you a gun on that yard, obviously. But and that's the thing: um, you go in there, and a lot of times, it's again regimented, and the officers, just like the inmates, you know, know when it's time, you know, for you know, let ins, let outs. They know what cell houses are going on which days of the week first. Uh, it's very regimented, and when that changes, or you know, something happens, any sort of. Uh, Altering of that schedule, you know, plays hell on on the whole thing. I'm part of my language. Uh, plays heck on the whole uh, the whole playing field. And the longer you're there, it's harder to tell. And I say this with respect, but you can't work with uh, anybody and not pick up certain uh, language, certain body posture, certain mm. behaviors. If you've put a twenty year old, a twenty year veteran 
officer with a 20-year inmate and a pair of the same clothes standing on the, on the street, it'd be hard to tell them apart. Uh, just just due to the fact of time is time, and um, it affects you. It's just a fact, and that's, that's the thing. Even beyond the hauntings um, of whatever energies and events that were left over kind of, as I've always referred to it, you know, permeating the walls of the place, um, the people leave haunted. I know I did. And that's just, uh, you know, again, another facet of the energy of that and, and the power of that place. Um, the facility was built overlooking an, uh, the old town of Edible, Kentucky. The original town of Edible and Katawa, Kentucky, which is in western Kentucky, um, was um, taken over in a land grab by the TVA, which, you know, they ran electricity up through here and dammed up the water and all that. Well, anyway, the towns were gone. But all the, the, the again, the, the, the construction is mainly limestone, and it's quarried from, you know, local local stone. And with inmate labor, there's running water next to it. There's cave systems that's full of water under this part of Kentucky. So, again, running water has a certain energy, limestone. You know, a lot of people leave limestone just like a quartz crystal or quartz uh, whatever can, can hold certain energy. So... You know, it, it's just like it's a constantly renewing machine, and uh, and usually what it cranks out is, you know, bad, bad dreams, bad times, and uh, sometimes death. Well, I mean, that's the thing is it's, uh, you know, you mentioned in the book that it's Kentucky's only supermax prison, and that it has, you know, that's where Death Row is located. So there's got to be a lot of negative energy that's being put out there on a daily basis and then being recorded, being held in by these factors, by things like the limestone and charged up by things like the running water. So you're you're basically just feeding all this negativity into this one location and it has nowhere else to go. Exactly. I mean, it's just it's a tinderbox and that's why every so often things things explode. Uh, we had had a assault on, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was eight officers and some supervisors and I knew a lot of those guys. Heck, I... I worked with and trained some of those guys in in, uh, in my time back at the penitentiary, and um, that stuff still bothers me. You know, even though I'm, you know, it's kind of one of those deals. You know, you know once you're once you're in, you're always kind of in. Um, you know, I, I still consider those guys friends, and even though I didn't, I wouldn't want anything to happen to them. But obviously, uh, your your heart drops. You know, you hear oh, there's been a riot at the so and so, and you're just like, oh, you know, my buddy Terry or you know uh, Kevin or whoever is working. Boy, I hope they're okay, and. Uh, it's just, it's just, it happens that quick. Um, I know uh, in my first, I think it was my first week there, uh, I didn't have an officer hurt, but I, we had an, an inmate in segregation, uh, in the segregation unit, somehow get a hold of a staple in his legal mail. And um, not to be too descriptive, but he basically tried to saw his, you know, his, his uh, member off. And uh, so I come on to shift running up there and, uh, Blood was all over the the walk, and they're trying to get this guy tied to a gurney. He's he's losing his mind, freaking out, screaming, and um, you could just feel the tension on it. Everybody's beating, banging the walls all through the cell house, screaming, and um, and they're like, here. So they're pushing the gurney. Says here, you got to hold this towel over this guy's oh stuff, or he's gonna bleed out, you know. And I'm and, and I mean, I didn't even have time to put on gloves. I mean, it was that quick. So you know, I mean, welcome to the jungle. I mean that's literally how I was welcomed to to the penitentiary, and uh, and 
then beyond that, you know, it's when things when you kind of get past that new phase and you're really able to study what's going on, that's when you really start to encounter the underbelly of it. I, just with a staple, I just can't I can't imagine even how you go about trying to do that. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to give a tutorial on what, what happens, but obviously, you know, there's concrete and, and things in there, and you sit and kind of scrape down on it. You get a little bit of an edge, and man, and you just sit and you just sit and saw. You got all time. You got all that all that time. And apparently, he had it for, uh, I guess, a couple hours. It was, uh, you know, apparently it was a new officer. Didn't understand, you know. Didn't didn't think about it. You know, I mean, we've had guys uh, keep a pen and try to swallow pens, and you know, get to get out to the outside hospital. We've had them insert them into the urethras and all. Just madness. Just all, anything, anything that you can think of, pretty much uh, is has happened in there. And uh, and and a lot of that it, that goes to show you the confinement and the effect on people. But this well, individual, when, when I was going to say when I spoke to this person, I actually it wrote uh, a story about what he had said it why he did it because i was like i don't understand it you're because i spoke to him when he's in the hospital the guy seemed pretty articulate and um and i was trying to ask him what's going on he says just, just i keep hearing stuff in the cell keeps you know it's you know i try to i hurt myself and things like me alone and uh you know and actually had people seeing people in his cells like in his cell when he wasn't in there you know just oddball stuff like that and uh who am i to argue with that so you you come there to work, and, and when was the first time that you heard a story that you would kind of consider to be something paranormal or supernatural? Well, a lot of times, um, the way the walks were set up. Okay, think of a if you have a capital a capital letter E, you lay it lay it down with the prong sticking out to the left. That long hall that connects all three of them. That's your main hallway. That's got your officers. Uh, the officer desk area and all that, and you had individual halls, which usually have two, uh, a side A, side B, and then the next one is C, D, and then the last one is a single, which is E, which is usually for kitchen workers and janitors. It's sort of like meritorious, you know, so you don't have to stare at some guy, you know, taking a crap or doing God whatever else in the cell. And, um, yeah, that's what started happening. You started hearing stuff that people were hearing things, you know, coming down the walk, coming up the stairs. Um Hearing locks smack up and down when there's no one there, um, when there's no one on the walks. Um, whispering when you go past cells, there's no one in the cell. Things like that. And um, and some of that could be written off to this and that. But when you have multiple people reporting in the same spot, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what was really weird, you know, because, I mean, I've, I'd seen what appeared to be some sort of shadow, but it was um, – it, it wasn't a shadow. It was like a form. It didn't like break. It didn't like fold in when going across the wall. I mean, it was solid. It didn't, it just floated across. Um, things like that in like a shower where there had been uh, a guy got really brutally beaten, uh, pretty much beaten to death. He died from complications of it, and this was years ago. And that's the crazy thing is that no one would talk about it. That's the reason that the the book was written by me because no one else wrote it. No one would wanted, wanted to talk about it, mm-hmm. but. It, it was one of those, you know, no one's going to believe you anyway type deals. But once people knew that, because by that time, uh, I had started doing, uh, like, 
I guess I guess we'd call it a, a, a more of a research team, an honest to goodness kind of research team in 2006, the Caldwell County Paranormals, and up until that point, you know, I'd always you know read and did research and things like that, and and all that you know stuff got us into this, you know, listened to Art Bell and and guys like Jim Morris, and you know, God God bless him and his family. I, I I'll just say he uh, he kept me entertained and, and enthralled for many years, and uh, uh, it, it was. Um, when I heard that, um, just like your like, like your friend Tim had said, I was like, oh, "Man, let, please let this be clickbait. Let this be just some god awful, you know, thing." And, and uh, yeah, it, it really it really bothered me, you know, because uh, I'd actually got to speak to Jim before on, a, on another show for a little bit, and he was always a real down to earth guy, and uh, he, he never put on airs, and I I appreciate him being being who he was, but. Um, but as of uh, again, after you asked me about the prison, I did not hear a whole lot initially until they sort of knew that I studied this sort of thing. I was open to it, and then a lot of times the older officers would kind of joke in front of the captains or something. But then when they're gone, it says, "Hey, I didn't want to say this in front of Lieutenant so and so because he would ride me about it." But yeah, over in four cell house on the the back stairs, yeah, you'll you'll hear stuff. You know, people walking in like hard, the old timey like wooden type heeled boots, and are you here? This and that in the kitchen, and and kind of confirming some of the stuff that I've heard. And then it got to the point once the old timers that had been there with twenty years under their belt kind of basically vouched for me. Then here comes everybody else, and then that's where really the influx of stories happened. Um, because, like I said, I, I never planned on writing. This whole writing thing is weird to me. Um, I had collected some stories after the fact for my just for my own kind of personal research and stuff, and uh, just because I'd never dealt with any place like that. But um, it was just sort of a happenstance. Uh, uh, a friend of the time had mentioned, you know, he he knew a editor, and could I could I borrow or could he borrow a story to show him? And I'm like, I don't care. And anyway, long story short, he comes back and says, Hey, let's you're going to write a book. That is. Probably the most nerve-wracking thing to tell anybody, especially people that have written, had submission letters, doors slammed in their faces. Thank you very much, but this story isn't what we really want to do. But that's what happened. Um, it was the most synchronicitous, if that's a word, um, type of thing I'd ever fell into. Because um, I have done a lot of stuff. I've done radio. I've done you know, music. I've I've played you know rock bands and metal bands and stuff forever, um, but nothing ever really hit. And for some reason, the response to the book has actually really surprised me. Um, again, because I am from Western Kentucky, it's very conservative, and most people uh, here are, live kind of faith-based lives and stuff. And so they they kind of look at you know ghosts and stuff like that as demons, but Again, I try to present it in a way of going, look, this is what was told to me, and you know, mix it in with some history, local history, and some urban legends of, of the area, and and people could kind of they could pal- they could they could take it a little bit better, you know, which is again not my job to sell the paranormal to people. Um, I mean, I guess it is. Secondly, I'm writing books about it, but you know what I mean. Uh, I'm not I'm not here to convert anybody, and and I'm definitely not um, what I would call an expert. I mean, uh, that's the thing. It seems like there's a lot of that going around, you know, 
everybody is certified, everybody's this. I mean, and, you know, unless you've really went through and, and researched a lot of theology and metaphysics and stuff like that. You know, my my degree work was in criminal justice, which you know helped a lot to check out locations, you know, grid patterns, investigate stuff, you sure, know. Yeah. Just disprove stuff and get an idea, you know, and be able to, again, verify or, you know, get rid of, you know, various claims that I found to be untrue or just wrong. Um, and like I said, I, I say that not to be um, self-deprecating, but it's just it's just a truth. I'm not going to sit here and try to sell you a bill of goods because that's, that's just not that's just not how I am. But um, but, yeah, it seemed like it seemed like the further it went. Certain certain things would just repeat. Certain things were kind of seemed kind of loopy or like you know a, sort of a looping type uh, residual hunt. And then there's some things that seemed like it changed up or it seemed to, seemed to ramp up over time. And that's what I found really interesting. And you know, I will still speak to people. Um, like I'll have new officers or sometimes old officers that contact me and say, you know, uh, I always worked over here. I never worked in this spot. Someone told me about your book. I'm reading chapter blah blah blah. This is exactly what I'm seeing, or yeah. this is similar to what I'm seeing, but it's actually worse now, which tells me that there's a lot of uh, – well, obviously, there's a lot of tension because they just had a riot not, uh, not a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, well, one of the things that I've always found fascinating about prisons and, and penitentiaries is that people will say when you have a haunting somewhere, and it could be anywhere. It could be a house. It could be a building, a business, what have you. They say, well, you know, we have to go back and do the history. Let's find out, did anybody die here? And with a prison, not only do you know that somebody died, especially a prison that has a death row in it, you know that exactly. people have died there. You know that there have been murders that have happened. You know that there have been deaths that have happened. Some people are there just to die in prison. Some people are there to be put to death in prison. Some people just end up getting killed by someone else when they're in prison. And it's not like they go far. A lot of the times they're buried right in the potter's field right nearby. So you've got all that death concentrated in this area, and that's going to weigh on everything that goes on there uh, just from the minute you walk in. I remember when I was researching Holmesburg Prison for Ghost Stalkers, and I was talking with the former warden. Uh, his name was Dave. I can't remember his last name. But he said, when you go into a prison to work, and you've been through something tragic that has happened. He he happened to have lost uh, some of his some of his uh, fellow brothers in a riot. And he says, when you go in there every day, you are reliving every day the worst day that you've ever had. And at the same time, you are reliving everybody else's worst days of their life all there and all at once, all in the same time. And that creates a a palpable atmosphere. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's uh, even if you don't necessarily have like like PTSD, it's it's like a walking. You know, breathing PTSD uh, episode, and it's as I mentioned before, it's so regimented, and it's a, it's like it's on a on a loop in its own right, um, almost like the. Do you remember that movie Groundhog Day? Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. Every day's the same, and every. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. That's what wears officers down so much. Um, just that whole looping, just mess of of negativity. And uh, and it can affect you. It can it can affect your it affect your home life. It can affect your relationship with your wife and your and and, and your kids. I mean that's why. Um, I mean there's a really high suicide rate in officers. Uh, I had a, a really good friend of mine, uh, Richard Colliver. Um, he was he, he was actually a, a member of member of our team, and he had uh, he ended up taking his own life, and that was. Uh, 
I know I'm kind of I'm kind of stumbling over that. It's just it's it's it's, it's still right, still no, affects uh, me. Understandable. But uh, that he um, he took his own life, and that was about six six to eight months before I, I said, "Yeah, I'm done." Because I you know I brought this kid in, and 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 he was a pretty good kid, uh, uh, you know, religious young guy, Catholic, and um, it was just too it was too much for him. And we and what really got me was that, and this is why I'm telling you this, it shows you how can, people's hearts can change, you know. You would expect some inmates to have something silly to say. I heard around about ways of like officers saying silly stuff about the guy. You know, the guy just died. You know, just you know, and it was just sort of like I'm done with this. So um, that's when I started working on trying to get to where I can teach life skills to special needs adults, which is what I do now. And uh, it's an important job, and it's a good job, um, especially for this area. And it's it's not a job, and when I say this, I don't say it like with with bravado that it's not a job for everybody, but it's simply not. If um, if you can't shake it off and and go home, don't go there. If um, you can't, if you don't have somewhat of a moral center, don't go there because not only will the inmates pick you apart, some officers will pick you apart, and then once you're open, that's when whatever is inside. Those halls will pick you apart. Well, we are talking with Steve Asher. He is the author of the book Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary. And, uh, and, and you know, Steve, we're talking about some of the factors that play into these haunts and, and some of the ways that they happen. But I'm assuming that the Kentucky State Penitentiary has some very unique haunts, some, some, some legends to them that are uniquely uh, tied into this particular structure. Well, sure. And, and you know, I think like every prison, like, you know, Alcatraz would have like Al Capone and and the Birdman and things like that. And you know, there are, there are a few famous characters, you know, that's that's been at KSP. Um, there's one guy uh, by the name of Kelly Moss, and he went there. He had kind of had a, a rough life, you know, drinking, party, and roughneck guy up through the '50s and all this and that. Just always in and out of trouble, and ended up. Bludgeoning his father-in-law with a with a hammer in his kitchen, and uh, anyway, and he come to prison and he really didn't slow much, didn't really slow down much, and this is back during the time when it was you know pretty much guys fighting toe to toe in the middle of the yard, people getting gutted, choked out, hung, all that stuff, rape, just often. Uh, this is actually my father, uh, Louis Asher, he'd worked there. Back in the fifties, and uh, he he knew of Kelly Moss. And uh, after Kelly Moss was executed, he, he had the had the electric chair. People started reporting things, you know, not working, things being knocked over, things being, you know, picked up and thrown. No one's in the room, things like that. Then people start seeing shadows back where his cells were at, or back by the death death house, or. Out, outside in wreck where he a spot where he always wanted to go people start seeing his shadows stuff like that and um, it, it's uh, it's strange that um, I actually tried to find a photo of, of uh, Kelly Moss and it I mean go online good luck hmm. I mean I, I, I challenge you tonight after look up Kelly Moss Kentucky State Penitentiary it was executed in 1962 nothing there's nothing it's like it's almost like they tried to erase it. 
which luckily I, I had some friends in Frankfurt that was actually able to help me find a picture of this guy. And what is so strange is that um, I, I there was a guy who had actually again had saw his what he said was his ghost and uh, well, coming through some razor wire, and he was like a kind of a mischievous guy. He'd either knock you out or pull a, pull a joke on you, the way I understand it. But anyway, and about scared this guy in a wall stand to death, and you know the the image of the creature or whatever kind of looked at him, kind of chuckled, and he faded out. And I asked the guy, well, what did he look like? I've never heard, you know, and he, he described him sort of a Irishy looking guy, you know, balding, whatever, you know, and, uh, which I found, found the picture of the guy because I asked him, have you ever seen him? He says, no, I just, this, this is what the guy looks like. And at the time, they had asked some old timers again who knew the, knew the guy and said, well, yeah, that's what he looks like. And, uh, it was, it was just, uh, it's just strange. It's just strange when someone who, you try to disprove it, and somebody has no knowledge of what this person looks like or their their body postures and stuff, and they're kind of dead on with that. Especially considering it took all but an act of Congress for me to be able to get a a, a fax copy of, of what this guy looked like. And uh, but no, I mean that's the thing. We've had uh, down at the penitentiary. There's been, you know, again, lots of riots, lots of fires, lots of stabbings, lots of rapes, lots of you name it. And um, there was actually. A yard, okay, let me remember this. In the yard office, there used to be connected to the old hospital or the infirmary. There had been a guy that was working in there. His name, they called him Old Red, a uh, black guy. And there was a real bad fire. And he actually ended up getting all the staff out, ended up getting all the inmates out. And uh, to the point of him running back and forth, he, you know, got his lungs seared real bad and got. You know, his legs and stuff burned up. And anyway, he ended up passing away. And But some of the stuff went from the old hospital to the new infirmary. And it wasn't very long when they started hearing, again, people dragging stuff through there, people clopping through the hallways, people moving stuff, you know. And, and But they would smell like the stench of burnt skin and stuff like that. So it's it's – it's one of those quirky things. If I hadn't heard some of the things down there myself, I would have to go, eh, okay. I had a friend, um, which we, we actually had just spoke to him the other day by the name of Morgan. I had wrote a chapter uh, called called Old Red, and he was down in the infirmary, and he had all that. And he called me and said, hey, uh, Steve, man, you gotta, you got to talk to me. And he said, I think I'm cracking up. And I said, what's going on, bud? And so he told me what was going on a little bit. And I said, okay, hold on. And I described what he's hearing. I described the lock smacking up and down. I described this and that. He's like, how did you know that? He said, I've worked down there. I know exactly. It's just, it's just old Red. He's not going to bother you. Just say, hey, Red, I've, I've got this. Go lay down, buddy. Good job. Have a good night. I've got this. And after that, it, it slowly diminished in probably about 35, 45 minutes. And then the rest of his night, he was fine. Hmm. And which is weird, which to me, uh, that is more of an active thing because it wouldn't – if it's looping, it would just keep going, you know. But – and again, that's happened to a whole lot of different officers. I mean in in the process of writing that book, I've spoke to 100 different officers, but you know, I only put about 20 large chapters in, in, in the book um, because a lot of times some of the officers had the same story or maybe they were working the same thing and they experienced the shadows but not the – you know, the chills or not the this and that or not something being drugged or bounced in the hallway. But so what I do is I would combine some of them to make a little bit more dramatic story where it included all that 
to make sort of a bigger story, but it was all from the different officers. And, um, and that's, and that's what's so crazy about it is that even to this day, it's still sort of, uh, even after the book come out, um, because I waited for the explosion. I waited to go, you know, for, it would be chastised and BS and all this, you know, and, um, because it's one of these things, penitentiaries have a hard enough time doing their thing without them, everyone thinking it's haunted. But, you know, it is what it is. And, um, but for the most part, they really didn't, they didn't freak out too bad. I did ask to see if I, uh, could come back and visit the penitentiary because apparently a lot of the, uh, a lot of the inmates bought the book. And, uh, and I thought, hey, it'd be kind of cool to kind of like a Johnny Cash thing coming there and sign some <laughs> stuff. But I don't know, they may not let me go if I did that. Well, the, um, there's a there's a question in the chat room, Steve, and uh, and we and we're talking with Steve Asher. He's the author of Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary. There's a question from Madonna in the chat room, and she wants to know why. She wants to know if there are certain areas in the prison that you know have more activity and that you might see the effects that it has long term over the inmates. Like I'm sure there are some inmates where you say, I know that when we were like researching Holmesburg, for example, there was one block where all the bad stuff happened and they would be very cautious about which prisoners they could actually put on that block because of their own mental stability and because of their own history and all that. Is that something that you had to take into account where you could place the living when you had all of these strange things that were also going on at the same time? Well, sure. Um, uh, let me explain it like this. I don't know how much you know about state facilities or anything like that, but um, the way it, way it works is this. You may have one uh, one cell house or one one building there that's had five or six different lives in in a hundred years. It may have started out as a, as a death row, and then they built a new death row, and that became regular regular housing. Or it may have been, you know, part of the gymnasium that they converted and changed into, you know, a cell house. Or it may have been a cell house, and they broke broke it down for administrative buildings, which is one of the things that happened there. Um, three cell house, which is a segregation unit. Uh, is broken into left and right wings, and you would have like eleven, like eleven left, eleven right, you know, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and then down to fifteen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and fifteen walk was the old death walk, and it still had the old uh, what, they, what they called old Sparky, the old electric chair. Um, and no one wants to be down there. Um, even the officers don't want to be down there. Um, I I'd experienced you know nausea and stuff like that down there and it's not and understand uh, when i say that i'm not one of these guys that see spooks and corners or i don't you know see like you know jesus and my toast in the morning you know i'm a pretty much a nuts and bolts kind of guy as much as i can other than writing you know about about ghosts and stuff but um certain areas really affected me and i think part of it is the fact that you know if you if you investigate places you get a little bit – I think your barometer gets a little bit stouter. Maybe uh, you want to call it your radio. You know, your, you, you can pick up frequencies a little right, bit better. Yeah, you get a sensitivity to it, yeah. Sure. And, and, and I mean, again, I'm not saying in any way I'm, – I'm saying I'm empathic. I'm not saying I'm Miss Cleo or nothing like that. I'm just saying, you know, you – just like a hunter. You walk through the woods. You, uh, most people might walk past – you know, a broken limb, or see something, and, and see they they see where something's rutted down. They can see where, whatever they know, they know the lay of the land, and it's the same thing in that. Um, 
but yeah, Death Death Walk was Death Walk was pretty hopping. Um, there's Forso House, which again was a Death Walk. You'll see stuff on on cameras. I've seen stuff on the monitors, um, like orbs. I'm not talking like a you know like a blink of light or a bubble. I'm talking like a like you put like a halogen light inside like a beach ball, and that thing's radiating and flickering and solid. I'm, I'm talking. It gives off light to where it would come up and it would make the camera haze to, because it's so bright and it would drift, you know, shoot off to the left or the right and then it would dim down and come back to normal lighting. I mean, really, really, um, brilliant, you know, uh, formations of what we even call it plasma or whatever. Um, and that's just the thing. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, you have, uh, Places like that, like I said, especially segregation. Uh, you have places in Six Cell House, which is now the new Death Row. Um, that's the thing. Every about every one of those cell houses has served Death Row at one time or another, which really helps to facilitate a lot of that. Um, Fourteen left, which is also on three cell house. I know I'm throwing out a lot of cell houses at you, but you asked. Um, is known as the Cutters Walk. This is where, obviously, self abusive people. Um, sometimes they're, they have mental problems. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've dealt with some guys in there, and obviously I'm not a I'm not a psychiatrist. That you know you could kind of tell maybe they're playing, trying to get attention, maybe this and that. But I've also seen some guys. Their eyes scared me, I, I, and I don't say it like you know I'm a you know I'm a six foot tall you know three hundred pound guy, I, and I don't say it like whatever. But I mean I, I don't get spooked by convicts real easy. But I was just like, uh huh, no, this, this guy, this guy ain't right. And, and I don't know if he came in there that way. I don't know if something, something messed with his head and got, got into his head that way. I don't know if he just, you know, it's sort of a thing too, where sometimes it's easier to become the aggressor. Mm-hmm. It's easier, yep. you know, you know, you become the aggressor, you're not going to get, you're not going to get preyed on. Um, very, it's a very prison type thing. Um, but and it seems like sometimes things make peace with the darkness in there. Um, you know, I, and I don't get kind of, kind of deep about it, but it does seem like sometimes people are easy prey for it, and sometimes people it's like they're ready for it. You know, and uh, and it doesn't seem like they're bothered by it. It seems like the ones that's really bothered by it is the ones that's trying not to be bothered by it, or maybe the ones that, you know, obviously, I'm, I don't know how many people you've talked to about like. Often to like like oppression and and things like that, like spiritual things like that. Um, but it seems like it happens. And even if you're not even if you're not there that long, I've seen a lot of officers change like that. And they'll go home and have something from there follow them home. Well, you know, that's that's going to be the the scariest part because you're already trying to think to yourself. You know, I've got to compartmentalize this job, but I've got to keep what I deal with on a daily basis at work and not bring it home with me. And then to have something unseen like that follow you home has got to be terrifying. Right. Well, that's the thing. And humans have this weird ability, some of us anyway, to uh, uh, compartmentalize things. Um, you see it really strong in, like, serial killers and things like that. Uh, not that I'm saying officers are serial killers or inmates. Or whatever. Well, there are some inmates that are serial killers, obviously, but you can only do that so long. You can only play that game so long because um, sooner or later, it's all going to come back together. 
And uh, and that's what's so crazy is that it it makes it sometimes really hard to read it because you have to go, okay, what's psychotic behavior and what's spirit behavior? I mean, obviously you have things moving moving around. I mean, short of telekinesis or some sort of psi power, but you have things, you know, dragging across this and that or getting thrown and you know lights going out and off and on and rolling around and just i mean like i said you pretty much you pretty much name some sort of spirit activity or paranormal activity it's happened there and that's that's the craziest thing is that um uh, again it's just it it just blows my mind in the times that uh, like i said the book's been out uh probably about a year now uh since uh, since it was released and so as part of the, the thing of writing, again, like I said, I didn't plan on being a writer. It just sort of happened. I didn't under, I didn't know anything about book signings. I didn't know anything about appearances. I didn't know anything about half of that junk. So I had to start doing like, you know, going to bookstores and signings and stuff. And I would start having other people come up to me from like the whole, the, the whole gambit of this. I would have officers just like, hey, well, you know, you didn't mention – one one certain place, and I'm like, well, I've kind of heard about it, but I don't have anybody that gave me a, a, a full story, and they would give me a full story. Uh, I would have people's either people that had been in there, like serving, that served out, or maybe, oh, my son so and so had been back there in the 70s, and he talked about this, and then I can get in touch with that person to verify this and that, and there's another story. I mean, it's it's it's, it's so crazy that I thought I had it all. I thought I had it all to the point where I've actually collected enough stories that I will probably the next year or so release a follow-up to that. Um, I mean I've already got the second – if I, if it's okay if I can talk about it. Sure. Um, the follow-up, it's going to still be part of the kind of hauntings of series, it's, but it's going to be the uh, Western Lunatic Asylum, which is about oh. the Western Kentucky uh, – Western Kentucky Hospital – or uh, yeah, Western State Hospital in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and that's, again – this part of the country, it's still a functioning facility, and um, and that's just you know it's it's so crazy that it seems like there's the same sort of manic energy, there's the same sort of tortured energy, and there's the same sort of like you said oppressive. You're here to to pay for your crimes in the old asylums because again, you know, modern medicine and, and mental health and stuff is is. Went and leaping, leaps and bounds. They generally don't do, you know, uh, a lot of water baths anymore. They use, they don't do like lobotomies and stuff like that anymore. So, but all that happened there as well. So, and and that's the thing. There's been a lot of stuff that happened at the penitentiary that would border on that. You know, there's a lot of a lot of violence. There used to be an area which I didn't even mention that uh, beneath the penitentiary called the dungeon, and these were. Specifically put there with whipping blocks, shackled walls, um, all that, you know, and uh, take a guy down there and what I think the term was to get their head right. You know, someone's been acting up, sometimes they take them down there and just wear them out. And, you know, I was sort of like, eh, okay, you know, but I, I never really got to see it. We had a flood. We had a water tower in the middle of the yard that got hit by lightning and flooded out the whole uh, whole administration building, which is what had been an old cell house, which is where the dungeon was over. So I had to help the engineers to get down there and try to 
get some stuff open so it would drain. And I kept hearing this clanging. I'm like, what's going on? Is there, what's, what's going on under there? He says, well, that's where all the old, uh, the, the, the dungeon was at. And they actually was able to show me where they were still standing chains clanging against the wall in the rushing water. Hmm. And so I was like, wow, you know, and it seemed like once that opened up to activity really picked up in there. It's, it seems like once you kind of stir that up and revisit that and especially you know, also with, you know, water again and all the, you know, the elements and stuff, it seems like it does agitate it. Just like, you know, when's the best, when, when did, everybody talks about ghosts and things like that on a, it was a stormy night. You know, it always seems like there's some sort of uh, natural element that ties into it. Sure. Well, you've got the water charging things up. You've got the, you know, if you have a thunderstorm, you have the lightning charging things up. So it, it makes sense. And it's, sure. also, it's also creepy enough that you start paying attention to things, too. That's the other part of it. Well, I worked, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I had worked on all three shifts of my time there. But a good majority of my time, I worked midnight shift. Um, my, my wife, Shine, and me, uh, we have three girls and we had two little boys that we've adopted that are special needs and um so i spent a lot of overnights so i would make sure that someone was there with the other kids during the day so she can go on doctor trips and that was pretty much how it was and then up to the time i left but the, it's just like um if you're standing across a field middle of the day with a flashlight you're not going to see it turn wait till it's about midnight you turn that light on yeah, you're definitely going to see it, and it seems like all the all the things that keep your mind focused off on this and that are gone. The small hours, that's when people really see stuff, and that's when it seems like things are very active. I mean, I've definitely seen stuff happen, heard things happen uh, during the day. You know, things happen there day and night, but there's just something about man. There's just something about after midnight, and uh, that's really. Between usually between two thirty, two thirty four, maybe by five. If anything was going on, it's definitely quit by then because you're letting kitchen uh, kitchen staff or kitchen kitchen inmates out to release right, yeah. to go to the kitchen to work. But and it seems like once that activity kind of happens, it, it maybe it's still there. You just don't notice it. But but yeah, I don't. You know, if I was pressed to the wall and say, you know, you definitively. Can you say, is it penitentiary haunted? No, I can't. I can speculate. I can say, in in my experience, do I feel most likely there's something going on there? Yes, some sort of mystical energy, some sort of entities? Yes. Is it a ghost? Is it whatever? I can't say that. Well, that seems like a, a good place to leave it. But again, the name of the book is Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary. Steve Asher is the author. And, and Steve, how can people follow along with you online and how can they find out when the new one comes out? Well, uh, I, we go through uh, I go through Permuted Press, uh, which is my which is my uh, home uh, book guys. Which I want to thank you know uh, Devin Brown and Michael and and, and uh, Matthew and the other guys there that for giving me the opportunity to release it. Um, but it's through Simon and Schuster. You can go to simonandschuster.com and uh, or you can go to uh, this is all lowercase and together Steve with another e and then asher.com. So it looks like Steve would like an extra, you know, S T E V E E A S H E R dot com, and that's got links to you know my Facebook, my Twitter, my whatever Instagram, all that good mess, and and it keeps you know I try to keep up with all my different little appearances and this and that, and uh, 
and that's kind of how they'll find me. And like I said, if not, you don't find me. Look for me on Facebook. I'm I'm very approachable. And uh, if you guys are ever in Princeton, Kentucky, you know, look me up. I'm always glad to uh, glad to talk to somebody, sign a book or whatever. And uh, again, it's it's weird shoes to wear, um, but you know, I'm 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 gonna enjoy it while I can. Well, I'm able to put books out and have fun with it. And I appreciate you having me on. Oh, thank you for joining us and for for telling us about. You know, there just seems to be something about Kentucky. There's a lot of stories that come out of there. Uh, I have friends that live there that have told me strange stories from there, and and of course we know some of the the paranormal hallmarks there. So you're definitely in the heart of uh, an area that has seems to have a weird energy about it. Well, that's that kind of southern gothic vibe, and uh, I will say this before before I go. Um, in this in, in the hauntings of Kentucky State Penitentiary, you know, I did mention. You know, about like what was they claimed to be a hellhound and upcoming stories. It's going to be touching on, you know, dogmen and, and some Bigfoot stories. I'm going to kind of pepper in here along with it. Um, just because it's all here and it's all part of, uh, a part of our history and a part of the experience of, of living in this area. I love it. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll talk to you when the next one comes out. Hey, thanks. And I really do appreciate it. And, uh, you guys take care. God bless. And, uh, I'll be here. All right. That is Steve E. Asher. Again, the name of the book is Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary. You can visit his website, Steve, then with an extra E, steveeasher.com. And uh, you can find out all about uh, his books and, and all about him and his work and follow along with him through social media and everything else. Uh, speaking of the inter- Internet, I want everybody to do me a favor. I've been talking about haunted towns and about how it debuts August 15th on Destination America. But do me a favor, if you have a smartphone or a tablet or any of those devices, go and download the Destination America Go app. It's free. And as long as you have Destination America on your cable, you can sign into the app, and then that will allow you to watch programming on your device from Destination America. So you can watch Kindred Spirits is on there. Right. Uh, all, the, all the seasons of Ghost Asylum, Paranormal Witness, all these great paranormal shows are on there. But on Tuesday... They're actually debuting the premiere episode of Haunted Towns a week early on the app. So if you can't wait until August 15th to watch it live on television, you can watch it on the app on Tuesday. And I will be definitely checking it out because I haven't seen anything yet. Really. You haven't? No. So I want to see. I want to see how it looks, and I want to see uh, how good it is, and then you know that'll give me a jump for because I plan on live tweeting. Uh, right, when, it, right. when it debuts, so that'll give me a jump on things that I can tweet about. Because I'll be exciting. It's going to be there. I can't wait to see it. So download that and uh, and watch the show on this Tuesday, August seventh, and you can get it free. And then, of course, next Saturday night we're not going to be here on the radio. There's still tickets if you want to join us. If you want to go to Ghost of the Gateway 2017, you can get your tickets at SpookySouthCoast.com. We've got some other things that we're working on coming up for September and and I know excuse me, I know Stephanie's going to be all over the place in October. In September. So there's plenty of stuff <laughs> happening, and uh, and eventually we'll figure out how to put it all up on one calendar on SpookySouthCoast.com. Yes. Uh, but uh, we do, I'm sure Matt knows how and just has to teach us how to do it. Well, I add the events to our event section on Spooky South Coast Facebook, so definitely check that out. And, uh, and of course, you know, so many ways to get out and get involved with everything that we do. I want to thank everybody that popped in uh, on Wednesday for the Bloody Pen where we talked Lizzie Borden on Wednesday night. That was great. And uh, fascinating stuff from Stephanie Corey. If you are interested in the Lizzie Borden story, 
If you want to find out more about Lizzie, about the murders, about the trial, about all that stuff, you know, not necessarily from a paranormal end, but from finding out all the true history, tune in tomorrow right here on WBSM for Town Square Sunday. It begins at 6 a.m. It's hosted by Jim Phillips. Uh, he will be talking with Stephanie Corey, who is a Lizzie Borden expert, and he'll be talking with her about some of the, the actual facts of the of the murders and of the trial and of everything that has to do with Lizzie Borden. So that'll be happening tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. right here on WBSM, Town Square Sunday. And if you are listening from outside the area or if you're listening to this later on on podcast, just go to the WBSM YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and search WBSM 1420. You'll find our page and you'll see the video right there of Jim Phillips interviewing Stephanie Corey on Town Square Sunday. It's, it's already up there now, so if you can't wait till tomorrow morning to listen, you can watch it right now on YouTube as well. And, of course, we'll have our show up on YouTube as well. You can always get all of our podcasts wherever podcasts are found. We want to thank everybody for listening. So until next time, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Chris, for Ashley, I'm Tim, and we want you all to stay spooktacular.